Josh, thank you so much for being here, and it's so good to have you. I want to uh, read you just a uh, the second uh, part. Of it. It's actually it's the last part of Josh's book. Uh, and Josh, are these available back there too? Yeah. So you can find those in the uh, in the comments. But the last page of Josh's book reads this way. It's titled "About the Author." And it says this, if you're interested in reading about the author, it means you didn't read this book very well. And what I would say, Josh, about your music, if we don't know something about you now, it means we didn't listen very well uh, uh, to you. So very, very well done. It's good to uh, good to have you with us today. Did I say something wrong and insulted the, sick, the middle school kids? Is that it's okay? Thanks. It was such a, uh, when I was uh, uh, pastor at Westland Lutheran, the, uh, I worked with uh, middle school kids for, oh gosh, a dozen years. And it was, uh, and I can say this, I, I would have said this to them even if they were here, but it was indeed one of the joys of, uh, of my years as a parish pastor was to be with these exuberant kids who had so many things going on in their lives and didn't always know how to say them, but they were absolutely fearless and would do so many things and uh, we're, uh, it's just such a treat. And I had such good connections with them that now, because that was so many years ago, I get a phone call once in a while and they call and say, Pastor Rogi, would you do my wedding or would you baptize our kids? And uh, there's such, such a, uh, an important role and important place for faith communities like this in the, uh, in the lives of kids uh, in that particular age. It's uh, just a joy to see them here. And uh, pleased that there's a place for them here at, at Christ Church. For those of you whom I've not met, let me introduce myself. My name is Barry Rogie, and it's my privilege to have accepted the invitation given me a few weeks ago by the, uh, by the leadership here at Christ Church to come and spend some months with you. And these months, I get to work with the rest of the staff folks, with the leaders here, and serving as uh, uh, interim pastor. It means also that one of the tasks that one of the tasks of ministry that will be before us, uh, not just me, not just the council, but before us, is that task of shaping uh, the ministry profiles and gaining an understanding of how uh, this congregation is put together and what kind of mission and vision is out there in the future so that when the call process team has done its good work, when the church council has done its good work, that all of you will be able on one day out here in the near future be able to gather and say and vote together and indicate, yes, this is the person or persons whom we wish to call to serve as the pastor of the future here at Christ Church. And I'm looking forward to working with the leadership and with all of you in some, some, uh, very uh, important ways over the next few months to uh, be a part of that process. This is my wife, Carol Ann. I'd like to introduce her to you. She's uh, standing right there, and she raises her hand so that you would know that. And uh, I'm, once again, it's my, my privilege to be with you, and thank you for the invitation. Grace, mercy, and peace be yours today from God our Father, from our Lord, and from our Savior, Jesus. Amen. I had uh, mentioned last week, and, and Chris referred to it uh, once once again as uh, we began this morning, the metaphor, the analogy, the illustration that I'd like to ask you to 
be patient with me in, in using and thinking about for these next, over these three Sundays, this being the middle of these three, is, is this. The idea that we, who are the people of God in this congregation, are on a journey together. And there are three important features of that journey which I ask you to keep always in mind. The first feature of this journey is that we will always walk with Jesus. The second important feature of that journey is that we will always walk together. And the third feature of this journey is that we will always walk with purpose. In Luke's Gospel, beginning at the ninth chapter, Jesus begins a journey. And that journey, according to Luke, is this, that Jesus is walking toward Jerusalem. And along the way, there are numerous encounters that our Lord has with a wide variety of people, and Jesus does some of his most compelling teaching as he and the followers, his followers, make their way to Jerusalem, where, of course, we know that Jesus will face suffering and death and where the glory and the power of the resurrection will be disclosed. So today's reading, the one to which I would call your attention, is the ninth chapter of Luke. The verses are 57 through 62, and please, now you can follow the reading, hear these words. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. There are three conversations that take place in this short reading. Three encounters between Jesus and three men. Two of these people with whom Jesus has the conversation, two of them have voluntarily stepped forward and have said, I will follow you, I will follow you wherever you go. One of them, the man named in the middle section, is identified by Jesus and is invited to follow Jesus and participate in the journey. And you heard in each of these instances when the conversation happens that each of them had some reason why it would not be possible to follow Jesus immediately. And you probably conclude from reading and hearing this story that there is always with Jesus in his invitations a huge sense of urgency. That if something was worth doing later, 
it's more important that it be done now. And so in this first instance, when the man says, have, and maybe some of you have done this, have you ever volunteered or said something impulsively that you kind of wish you hadn't gotten yourself into? I suspect some of you have. And I think that might have been the situation with this man. He proclaims rather extravagantly these words. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus then replies, birds have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And immediately Jesus stakes out the territory and lets him know, and everybody else who hears this, that if you want to follow Jesus these days on this journey that will take you to Jerusalem, know that we do not stay, we do not stay at the Marriott. There is no we are dependent on the hospitality of other people, and if you're prepared to sleep and to stay and depend on the graciousness of other people, then that's what you're going to be into if you want to follow me. But sometimes impulsiveness, even to follow Jesus, gets in the way. When Carol Ann and I got out of college and I was just starting my first year of seminary, we lived in Berkeley, California. We lived near Berkeley. Actually, we lived in San Lorenzo, south in the uh, Bay Area on the east side. Carol Ann was teaching school down there, and one evening, the pastor of the church where we, where Carol Ann was teaching and where I, uh, where we were members, had invited a man to come and talk with the uh, uh, congregation, and his name was Will Hertzfeld. He was an African-American man. He was a Lutheran pastor, and he was the pastor of a small little church up in Oakland, up on Telegraph Avenue. And he'd been invited to come down to the church where we were members in order to speak to the council. And one of the reasons he came to San Lorenzo was the fact that in those days, San Lorenzo was not, not an integrated community. It had a reputation as being a place that was very, very hostile to people of color. And so Will came down and spent this evening, and everybody there was mostly, mostly understanding of his message, and not, I don't think everyone heard his message very, very well. But his message was this, that, and he didn't come down there to, in any way to condemn people. He simply said, we cannot allow and cannot continue this business of racial segregation and separation, even the most subtle kinds. And he gave a number of examples of that. I remember after he had left that evening, I thought, wow, this is the kind of thing, I'm right out of college, I was 21, 22 years old, and this is something I'd like to be a part of. Whatever he's doing up there at St. Philip's up in, uh, up in Oakland, I want to be a part of. So I called him the next day. And I said, that was really great to have you down here. I appreciate what you're saying. And what's the next step? How, how can we accomplish and do the things that you want to do? And there was dead silence on the phone. He, he didn't answer me. He was a very gracious man. And finally, what I discovered was he was saying this. He said, you may want to go out and do things and accomplish and change the world, but you have to start with yourself. And I hadn't started there. 
He said, you need to get, get in touch with yourself and ask, what are the motivations? Why do you want to do this? And what is it that you want to, to change or affect? Well, that was the end of that conversation because I learned a great deal, and so I just went off to school and became a student once again. Until about eight or nine months later, and Carol Ann and I had a phone call one afternoon. And the phone call was this, and it was from Will and one of his colleagues. And they said this, would you and Carol Ann like to come and uh, spend the summer living in either Haight-Ashbury or in East Oakland, in West Oakland, with a group of high school and college students who are going to be coming from all over the country to spend the summer in a, uh, in a mission enterprise. And we thought about it, and we talked about it, and we decided, sure. But we never expected that invitation to come the way that it did. But in retrospect, I think that my friend Will had remembered what I'd said and what I'd asked him eight or nine months earlier and said, now, if we, and this time I dragged Carol Ann into it, if we wanted to be a part of something, this would be an opportunity either to say yes or to say no. If we said yes, they laid it out very clearly. We would be hosting high school and college students from all over the country. We would be effectively their house parents in two of the most unsettled, potentially disruptive places in the West Coast. And we said yes. I'm not sure why we said yes, but we did. And it turned out to be a most remarkable summer. This was 1968. It was shortly after the assassination. It was less than six weeks after the assassination of uh, Robert Kennedy. It was a couple of months after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. It was a few months after a shooting that had happened on the Berkeley campus near a place called the People's Park. All of this was the prelude to the summer that we spent with these kids. And our task, we believed and we were told, was to provide an experience for these young people, most of whom were only two or, years, two or three years younger than we were in the city, and to help them and we ourselves to understand what mission and ministry and the presence of Christ would mean. It was a good summer. It was filled with adventure, excitement, disappointment, a great deal of anxiety. And, and we, we, we learned, probably we learned more about ourselves than we ever, ever communicated to those around us. But I tell you the story because it was our exuberance to do what we believed and felt deeply that we should and could do that led us to do so. In today's gospel, there's one of those people. And I don't tell you this story because we were the noble ones who stepped forward. In retrospect, we were probably kind of foolish because we were probably too young to be doing what we were doing. But the one man who hears the story of Jesus and comes forward and says, I will follow you wherever you go, and effectively you get the idea that Jesus is saying to him, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what will be required of you. 
The second man in today's story is a person whom Jesus identifies. And we don't know, we don't know anything about him, other than the fact that he may have been a follower. He might have been a man who was sitting at a, at a cafe, sitting on the sidewalk in one of these small towns. And Jesus goes to him and says to him, for whatever the reason, simply these words, follow me. Now, you can read in the gospel some other accounts in which Jesus has said those same words. Earlier on in Luke's gospel, Jesus goes to a man whose name is Levi. And Levi works for the Internal Revenue Service. And Jesus says to him, Levi, come and follow me and give up your tax collection business. And according to Luke's gospel, Levi leaves, sells his business, leaves his table, and follows Jesus. He eventually has a new name. His name becomes Matthew. There's another story shortly after that in which Jesus confronts three fishermen who come off the Sea of Galilee, who have a family enterprise, a fishing enterprise, along with their father Zebedee. Jesus goes to the three of them, and he says to the three of them, Peter, James, and John, follow me. Zebedee gets mentioned. They apparently talk with each other, look at, the, at, uh, at Zebedee, and might have said to him, how, Dad, how about if you take over the boat? We're going to go follow Jesus. And they do. There's another remarkable story in the 18th chapter of Luke, and a young man who is described as being wealthy and young, approaches Jesus and asks him this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies to him in this way, all you need to do is this, sell all of your possessions, give everything that you have to the poor, all your money, and come and follow me. And it's one of the few places in the Bible where we have a commentary about the man's reaction. Depending on the translation, the word is this. The man looked either forlorn or sad because he had great wealth. Jesus goes on to offer some comment about that, but I get the idea that this man did not follow Jesus in that particular way. I've used this metaphor for the time, uh, I wanted to mention that for the, the next, uh, these three Sundays before we begin the series on James. I'm again asking you to think with me about the journey to which, on which we as a congregation now find ourselves with, uh, uh, Pastor Bob having, uh, having, uh, uh resigned, uh, uh, a little over a month ago. And that journey will and must keep those three concepts in mind. We must go with Jesus. We must stay together. And we must do and do this journey and walk always with purpose. I mentioned as well last week, and I would remind you again about those categories that are might be helpful for those of us who are walking together. All of us are tourists. All of us are tourists. 
we go and we hear you came to church this morning, you sang, you participated, you observe what was going on, and then you get to make a decision. Every Sunday or every day of your life, you get to make a decision. Do I want to go to the next level? Do I want to become more than a tourist, more than a spectator, more than an observer of what the community of faith and the life of faith is about? And I have two words to describe where that next level might be. You could become a disciple, and that's biblical. Because remember, those who follow Jesus included a large number of people. I think of them as tourists going with Jesus because they like it. But there was a group of disciples, a dozen of them, who formed an inner group, the people who are named so frequently in the Gospels. And then there was another smaller group of folks who were the closest to Jesus, Peter and Andrew and James and John, with whom our Lord frequently consulted. I think of them as the pilgrims who knew exactly what they were doing, how much hardship lay in front of them, and wanted to be with Jesus on that journey. And so this journey that we get to be on together will mean that the invitation is extended to everyone to participate, to be engaged. And I hope that many of you would decide, because there are many avenues to do this, many methods, some of you would decide, this could be the year of my discipleship, where I could learn more about myself, I could learn more about God, and more about Jesus. Some of you may determine, I've got time, I've got energy in this coming year, to notch it up to another level. Because there are so many ministries in the life of this congregation that require pilgrims. That is, people with purpose to continue on that journey. I'd like to mention two of those that you'll hear more about, you are hearing about literally today. The first is this. The Church Council is working to identify and eventually to select in some manner, we don't quite know yet what that's going to be, a group of seven people who will be part of the call team, the call process team here at Christ Church. Those folks, I think there may be a couple of alternates in addition to the seven. That group of people will have an immense responsibility and a great deal of hard work in front of them. And I need to say that just up front. It is work. But it might be, when I've talked with people who've done that task before, and I've been a part of call teams before, can be some of the most rewarding times together because of the relationships that get built and the enterprise in which one is involved. But that group of people will work together do some congregational assessments, read and pray and study and listen and talk and study and listen and pray and talk some more and devise a process that will lead out there in the future 
to Christ Church's extending a call to someone who will become lead pastor here. The second opportunity I want to mention to you this morning has one component taking place on Tuesday night when at 7 o'clock a group of us will gather for a 90-minute training session to introduce the idea of training some leaders for small group ministry. And I mentioned small group ministry because in the first place, I'd like to think that almost everything that happens here involves some small groups of people, the worship team, the church council, the call process team. But there are some other small groups as well that have those same characteristics, and you heard me mention those. Walk with Jesus, walk together, and be purposeful. If you're slightly interested, slightly interested, in thinking about how you could be a part of a group like that, Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, 90 minutes. Not a huge commitment. I'd love to have you. And we'll be doing some training and some conversation about what form that might take. Finally, know this. There is a great deal of room and a great deal of space for all of us here. Just as you do not hear any word in these three conversations in today's story, Jesus never makes a judgment about the three people who had offered some reasons that they could not participate. And what I want to think is this, that when Jesus came back through, he went to those same three people and he said, remember, did you get your father buried? Or to the one, the third person, did did you get your family well cared for and did you get to say goodbye to them? Did all of those things get taken care of for it, taken care of because I think that Jesus went back the second time and said, Now come and follow me. And they might have become disciples. We just don't know that. Because you know and I know that Jesus is relentless. Jesus is relentless in extending the conversation and the invitation. And while our Lord does not make it easy to be his follower, he does make it very, very appealing in spite of ourselves. There are a number of journeys that each of us is on and could be on. Right now, the one I ask you to spend some time with is this journey. The one by your very presence here today, you've decided, has interest and appeal and value. You'll be hearing more about that, about the conversations that also accompany them along the way. Please join with me in prayer. Dear Lord, among the pathways that are before us are immense numbers of choices. We sometimes don't imagine or visualize ourselves in any one place. 
But it is always your invitation that shapes those decisions. So we give you thanks that you continue with a relentless effort and energy to invite us to walk with you. You tell us what's demanded. There is always a sense of urgency. And we know that we will never be alone. And so, Lord, whether we step up and say we will follow you, or whether you come to us and invite us and simply say, follow me. We know that as every journey has its beginning, we pray for steadfastness and the readiness to walk with you when you call us. Strengthen us for the journey. Allow us always to walk with you and to walk with purpose. That is our prayer in Jesus' name today. Amen.